those of you who aren't aware, we have a nursery every week that typically meets in the room back here. Uh, This Sunday, it's meeting in the room all the way in the back here. And our kids' class, I believe, is back here today. Am I correct? All right. So we've got a potluck to follow our worship service uh, here today. And uh, typically, we've got some other space available. But because we're getting ready for that, we're going to let the kids use this space back here. And uh, we'll give them a moment to get there. They just keep coming, you know? (laughs) It's great. I love it. All right. Uh, We're going to be in the book of Proverbs. As I mentioned, you can turn to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series from the book of Proverbs, just, just kind of over the summertime. We've called it Building Healthy Homes. And at this point in that journey, we've turned our attention to the subject matter of parenting. We started on that topic last Sunday, uh, said we'd do it this Sunday, and then I thought we'd be done, but I think it's actually going to be next Sunday as well. Uh, some of you are parents and grandparents. Others of you uh, will be, and others of you uh, may never be. Uh, And while what I say today, as with what I said last week, will immediately apply to many parents, much of it will also apply to anyone who cares about and has a heart for children and the next generation in general, and that really should be every single Christian. With parenting, as we noted last week, comes a whole array of feelings and emotions, highs and lows. And perhaps one of the biggest, as we noted, is the feeling of inadequacy, uh, the idea of, I don't really know what I'm doing, or what to do, or how to do it, or when to do it, and yet this is happening, and this is happening really, really, really fast, and simultaneously, I'm extremely busy. Most parents feel inadequately equipped as parents, and I just want to remind you, as I said last week, that is more than a feeling. That's reality. And yet there's this really great news uh, that God has given us in his word, namely that he's given us himself. He's given us his son. He's given us his spirit. And he's given us the word of God to guide and direct us and specific teachings like the ones we will look at today from the book of Proverbs. He's given us all of this to help us. And so, uh, as I said last week, I'm here to encourage you. I really want to encourage you because with God's help, you can be a highly skilled trainer of your kids. And so what we started doing is looking at six T's, like the letter T for parents. And so we started last week with two of those. We started by just saying, hey, let's talk first about your task. Uh, What is your task? And we saw from Scripture, from the book of Proverbs last week, that you need to focus on training, that we've got all these words like teach and instruct and train in the book of Proverbs. And to drill down a little bit more specifically into what that looks like, uh, you need to focus on both the root system and the fruit. You're not just parenting above the soil with all your child's behavior and what they're doing and what they're not doing, and they need to do this and they need to do that. No, that's inadequate. You need to to parent uh, both root and fruit. You need to parent your child's heart and what's going on there. And ultimately, as God does a great work in your child's heart, that's where true fruit on, on the surface begins to show up. So you need to parent above the soil as well as below it. So first we said, let's talk about your task. And second, we said, hey, let's talk about your team. In the book of Proverbs, what we see is a father and a mother uh, both instructing their child in a unified way for that child's good. And in God's ideal, according to to Scripture, that's, that's what he wants. 
that a happily married father and a happily married mother working together as a team in unity for the, for the good of their kids. And the third T that we want to consider today is let's talk about your timetable. Uh, parenting happens on a clock or a timer that's always, always, always ticking down. And as a parent, God has given you a window of time. That's what you get. That he wants you to seize and he wants you to do your best to, to grab it and to steward it well and make the most of it. And I think those of us with children still in the home, we've, we probably really do know this in our heads. We know it in our brains for sure. Like, okay, they're going to turn 18 someday. But we probably don't get it the same way that the empty nesters do. For example, have you ever noticed that they're always saying things like this? It goes by so fast. Enjoy it. It must be like they see us and wonder if we are enjoying it. <laughs> or the days can be long, but the years fly by. My wife and I were recently playing Taboo with some friends. And like many games, Taboo, it's, it's played with one of those uh, little egg-styled, or um, uh, what's it called? Hourglass-style timers. And there's something about an hourglass timer that makes you feel rushed. It just has that effect upon you. Uh, there's a sense of urgency because the sand empties from, from the top to the bottom so, so, so fast, especially at the end uh, when all the remaining sand has, has reached that funnel portion of the top chamber. And it's like it just all of a sudden just falls and it's done. I think that parenting probably is like that and feels like that. It seems like there's so much time and then all of a sudden the sand is all in that bottom portion. They're out of the house. And we do well to take note. Solomon reminds us that there is a timetable, that the clock is ticking, and that time is really not something that you can uh, get back. And so, for example, on this timetable theme, Solomon says this. If you're there in Proverbs chapter 22, look at verse 6. We looked at this a bit last week. But this well-known verse of, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. You may remember from last week, this verse is talking about that there's this road that God wants your child to walk on, and there's a direction that this road points. And what you're doing as a parent is trying to get them started down that road and starting to learn to walk it on their own, and so of their own volition, and standing up and walking without you. They've got to travel this road on their own. Eventually, this time comes when you're not there walking it with them. Also, Proverbs 19, 18 uh, possibly uh, hits this time theme as well. It says, discipline your son. Some translations say, while there is hope. Uh, highlighting, uh, a, in some translations, a, a time element there. Maybe not the strongest text to highlight the timetable, but I think we do see it in Proverbs. Your time is limited. So let's take a closer look at what Solomon has to say about this timetable. Uh, first, uh, we could say that your task starts early. Remember Proverbs 20, verse 11? Uh, you can flip to these if, if you've got time. I may just uh, read some of them for you. Proverbs 20, verse 11 says this, Even a child makes himself known by his acts. Even a child has a reputation. <laughs> some good, some bad. Even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his conduct is pure and right. I think there's a reminder there that your parenting task starts in the earliest of years, and you need to get on it. But we can, might also say that your task is 24-7. It's ongoing. Every day uh, matters. 
and really these, these parenting responsibilities, what's going on in your child's life and what they need, it waits for no one and no thing. Your child's parenting needs don't wait for mom to feel better, do they? They don't wait for dad's work schedule to be uh, less busy and slow down. You've been given this monumental task with like zero vacation time. Not that you would ever want it. But it, it is flying by 24-7, and it's ongoing perpetual all the time. And this is certainly the sense that we get from what God calls us to do in a passage like Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 to 7. Again, a passage that I think is so familiar to many of us. Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 7. And these words that I command you, God says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And here's what you're going to do with them. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them. And then he gives like the time frame and when you're supposed to do all this. When you sit in your house... And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down at night to sleep, and when you rise in the morning, God's just saying, this task that you've been called to, it's 24-7 in all the different components and elements of life. Parenting happens in all the everyday moments of life, 24-7. And also, your task has a release and transition date. Though you never stop being a parent, there is a release and transition date. We, we, we began to see that already in Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go. He needs to go it. He, he, need, he needs to go down that road. He needs to walk it. And you can't walk it for him. And you can't walk it with him throughout all the adult years of his life. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Your task is to try to get your kid started down that path. So that when the time comes, he can walk it all by himself without you, hopefully even long after you're gone and dead. It's much like what we do with training wheels and and driver training. I think that training wheels are starting to become a relic of the past. But before the days of Strider bikes, you would get your kid a bike with some training wheels, right? I mean, they were awesome. They're just awkward and, you know, one wheel screaming on the pavement and then the other one. Like, it's just really great. And you get your, your kid a, a bike with some of those, and the training wheels provided at least a degree of safety while your child learned how to ride. But then all of a sudden, the day would come where mom or dad takes those training wheels off, and off the child goes, and it's often scary at first, and often that first time without them, it's like, whoop, you know, wipe out. But the idea of those training wheels is that hopefully that's not going to happen a whole lot. The training wheels are going to come off, and the kids kind of got it, and they're going to learn the rest of the way pretty quick. Same with driver training. Uh, Some of you in days to come or perhaps already, uh, maybe you've already done it, you're going to teach your kids to drive. And at first you're going to sit right there in the passenger seat, perhaps with your hand on the emergency brake and your other hand ready to grab the steering wheel, uh, whatever you need to do. And everybody in the car will be saying, we're all going to die, you know. It's going to be fun. A little bit scary. But sooner or later, a day is going to come when you're going to have to get out of the car. And you're going to have to get out of the passenger seat and hand the keys to your kid and say, you're on your own. That's going to be horrifying. But that's how it goes. That's how it happens. And that's the whole point of training them. So that they can do it on their own without you, safely and securely. Your task has a release and transition date. Psalm 127 verses 4 and 5 liken a man's children to arrows in a quiver. And for every arrow, a day comes when it must be released and fired out into the world. And the great prayer is that when that arrow flies, it's going to hit a mark. It's going to hit a target for eternity. 
after being urged by his parents to stay in the United States, the famous missionary martyr Jim Elliott, uh, he, he's the one, if, if you're not familiar with Jim Elliott, he gave his life bringing the gospel to the Akas in, in South America. And uh, he was going to go there and, you know, you can imagine mom and dad, they're like, oh, why don't you stay here? And he wrote a letter to his parents and here's, here's what he said to mom and dad. Grieve not then if your sons seem to desert you. Remember how the psalmist described children. He said that they were as an heritage from the Lord and that every man should be happy who had his quiver full of them. And what is a quiver full of but arrows? And what are arrows for but to shoot? So with the strong arms of prayer, draw the bow string back and let the arrows fly, all of them straight at the enemy's host. God has given you a timetable. And at some point, mom and dad, those arrows have got to fly. Don't wait to get them ready for life, for battle, and for, and to, for flying towards a mark. And you've got to be okay with letting them go. They were never meant to stay in the quiver. And Solomon's starting to point us in that direction. There's this path that your kid needs to walk. And he's got to do it without you there holding his hand for the rest of his life. So just practically, what might, what might we learn from that idea? Well, be diligent with the time that you have. Take the time that God has given you and do the right thing with that time. You can fill those 18, 20 years with all kinds of things, and you will. But you want to make sure you fill it with the right thing. You want to keep diligently chipping away at your God-given task that we looked at last week. And start preparing to let the arrows fly. Uh, There's a real balance, and I think it can be a struggle oftentimes between protecting and sheltering, and you know, kind of like insulating your child and your kids, and, and yet getting them battle ready. The battle tends to chew up and spit out those who are unprepared. And maybe another big thought to consider is to shepherd your kids uh, right through, not around all their problems. Many parents, anytime their child encounters a difficulty, they just remove the difficulty. Oh, that's going to be hard for my kid. Why don't I step in there and I'll just pick up that difficulty and I'll move it over here so that they don't have to face it. Or they remove their child from the challenging or unpleasant situation. But you know, that's really not how the real world works, is it? The world that your kid is going to grow up and walk around in and live in. Wise parents shepherd their kids through the difficulties with their Bibles, not around them. You know, someday there will be difficulties in your child's marriage as there probably are in yours. And someday there will be difficulties in your child's church, as there certainly are in yours. And someday there will be difficulties in your child's work life, as there probably are in yours. And someday there will be difficulties all over the place in your child's world, just like there are in yours. And if for 20 years your pattern has been to remove all of the difficulties in your child's life and to hold their hand while walking them gently around the difficulties and the problems, what do you think your child's default will be when the going gets tough? What do you think will will happen when your child all of a sudden realizes that the honeymoon's over in their marriage and this is complicated, this is hard? I'm selfish and my spouse is selfish. What do you think your child's default will be when the going gets tough? 
to the best of your ability, probably most of the time, you want to be shepherding your kids right through the difficulties of life because all these things, they're the training ground for your kid to walk on their own in the future. If you want to shepherd them through them, not around them, and do that with the Bible. Bring wisdom and comfort, the wisdom and comfort of the Scripture to bear upon the situation. That's what Solomon's saying. Train them up. Train them up so that they can walk this road on their own. God's given you a timetable. Do what you can to prepare the arrows in your quiver. Uh, But we'd probably ask, well, how do we actually go about that? And that brings our attention to a fourth T for parents. Let's talk now about your tools. According to Proverbs, you have at least three primary tools for your task. And the reality is there may be other secondary tools. In fact, there are. But these make up what we might call the trifecta in Proverbs. When it comes to God's desire to speak to your child's heart in your home, and we saw last week that's exactly what God wants to do. He wants to speak straight into your child's heart, the control center of their entire life. And what tools is God going to use to speak straight there? Well, when it comes to God's desire to speak to your child's heart in your home, these tools have no rivals. In fact, you will not find suitable substitutes. These are your tools. And I think tools is is a helpful word because they imply work. Wielding these tools well, effectively, and consistently is going to require work on your part. Nobody ever said this was going to be easy. These tools can be heavy and they can even feel burdensome at times. And all three of them require a degree of skill and training. And along the way, you're going to realize that you're not as good with these tools as you would hope to be. But with God's help, you can grow and you can use them really, really, really well. But it's going to take work and large doses of God's grace and large, large doses of humility on your part. So tool number one, what is it? It's your lips. Or we might say verbal instruction. Turn to Proverbs chapter 4, 1 to 4. We saw last week that you're a teacher, you're a trainer, you're an instructor. And a large portion of what you do and a large portion of your task involves verbal instruction, your lips. And that comes positively in trying to teach and instruct your kids so that they learn certain things. And also on the negative side, at times verbally correcting them. The book of Proverbs, what is it? I mean, big idea. The book of Proverbs, it, it makes, it's thousands of words spoken primarily from a father to his son or to his kids. Solomon is speaking to his, his son. And he's verbally instructing him. Positively and negatively, he's verbally teaching and verbally correcting. And here in verse 1 of chapter 4, he doesn't say, Son, give me your eyes for a moment. Not in this text. In this text, he says, watch. No, not that. No, he says, hear, O sons. I'm speaking, give me your ears. Please listen. And through his words, Solomon is teaching his son all kinds of things. He's teaching his son how to think. And he's teaching his son uh, what to believe and how to behave and how to conduct himself in all kinds of circumstances. And along the way, he's also verbally correcting his son. That's not right. Don't do that. Look at uh, Proverbs 4, 1 to 4. 
He says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. Uh, let's stop there for a moment. And I'd just like to note four quick, quick observations and implications about what we just read there. Verbal instruction requires personal knowledge of God and his word. I mean, this is just a really simple reality, but how is Solomon going to teach his son something that he doesn't know? A teacher never takes his students beyond where he has personally gone. You have to learn first in order to bring somebody else along. And if you want to teach your kids about God and his word, and you want to instruct them and God and his ways, then you have to know God and his word. You have to walk with God. And what we see is we actually, we'll get to this in a moment, we're seeing multiple generations here. Solomon's saying, my dad taught me. And Solomon's now teaching his son as someone who has learned some things himself. And he's passing those along. And you want to do the same thing. You want to be a student of God and his word and spend time with the great teacher at his feet. And and there's just no way to, to rush through that. You can't sit down in an hour and achieve that. You're talking large, large amounts of time of drinking in the Word of God and feasting on it. And take the opportunities you have to learn and to grow. Look for mentors and teachers to help you along the way. You need help. God God wants you to help teach your children. But if you're going to grow and you're going to learn, you need people to teach you. Other Christians who know the Bible and God's Word Verbal instruction requires personal knowledge of God and his word. And similarly, verbal instruction takes time, lots of time. On the one hand, you've been uh, tasked with teaching book knowledge, right? You're supposed to take information about God and his word and, and teach that to your children. And on the other hand, you've been tasked with teaching a trade, so to speak, as we saw in Deuteronomy 6. This is on the job training, and it's teaching your kids in, in, in real time. This is what this looks like in everyday life. And both of those fronts are going to take enormous amounts of time. And if we don't get that idea from Scripture, we're missing something. Deuteronomy 6, everything that you're doing becomes the classroom for your children. Another observation from these verses is that verbal instruction is one of the greatest gifts you can ever give your kids. In verse 2, Solomon says this. He says, I give you good precepts. Son, I've got a gift I want to give you. Good precepts. He uses the language of gifts and giving. Verbal instruction then is more than merely a tool. It's one of the greatest gifts that you can ever give your kids. And uh, in this verse, just a, a question, a very simple question. Who is giving this priceless treasure? Who is giving this great gift? Is it the pastor? Is it a Sunday school teacher? Is it some friend of the family? Not in this text. Not really in the book of Proverbs. What we see in the book of Proverbs, we see mom and we see dad. Parents, this, is, this responsibility falls heavily on you, and the, the church also has a heavy, weighty responsibility. But don't think to yourself, you know what? If I can just get my kids to church and if I can get them to Sunday school, then I've completed, I've done my task. No, you've just done a part of your task. Mom and dad, it is your job to teach your kids the Bible and it is one of the single greatest gifts you can ever give them. 
And one more observation about this text. Verbal instruction has the potential to have a compounding generational effect. Look at verses 3 and 4. Solomon says, When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me. And said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, Solomon. Get insight. His dad taught him that. And did Solomon do that? Oh, yes, he did. And now he's passing it on to his son. Three generations are being referenced and teaching is being passed along. When you teach your seven-year-old, you're making a potential investment in your grandchildren and great-grandchildren. You may be a first-generation Christian. Maybe you you trusted Christ uh, middle age, later in life, and you think, wow, I sure am behind where I would like to be. You know? Like, I mean, all these other Christians, it's like they started in kindergarten, they grew up in church, not me. Like, 45, I trusted Christ. (laughs) This is all brand new. And you feel like you're just starting to grow and learn all these different things. And and you almost feel behind. Let me just give you a really, really cool thought. You may be a first-generation Christian and not feel like you know all that much. But you know what you can do is you can give what you do know to your kids. You can give them what you do know about God and His Word. And you can keep giving them more and more and more. And they could perhaps take that and stand on it. And in their lifetime, grow even beyond what you've had the opportunity yourself. Give what you do know to your kids and hopefully they will take it and have the opportunity to build upon it in their own lives. So David said to his son, son, get wisdom. And boy, did Solomon ever get it. Think about the stock market. If you invested $100 in the S&P 500 way back in 1980, you would have about $10,000 today. Your $100 would have compounded again and again and again. And listen, I mean, when you talk about the stock market, there's zero guarantee, right? You put $100 in, you might lose all of it. And there's no guarantee here either. But verbal instruction does have the potential to have a compounding generational effect in the spiritual lives of your children and grandchildren. We are talking about an investment worth making. One of your tools is verbal instruction and you don't want to neglect it. And I just encourage you to read and talk about the Bible with your kids. I know that's just a really simple application, but, but that's the application. That, that's where the text is going. Read the Bible. And talk about it with your kids. And it's such a simple thing, and yet it is extremely hard for whatever reason. I know for myself, I've just had to again and again look at my own life and ask myself a really hard question. Am I doing that? Yes or no? And am I doing it very well? And what, what do I need to do? What practical steps do I take so that I'm sitting down with my kids and I'm opening up the Bible with them and I'm reading it to them or, or reading them Bible stories on their level and teaching them and talking about it and praying with them? Read and talk about the Bible with your kids. And can I encourage you to slow down and actually talk to them? We often feel too busy for that. We live very fast lives. We live intense lives. And we're running over here and we're running over there and we're busy, 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 busy. And some of that's self-inflicted. We think our kids need all these extracurriculars and we spend all of their young years running them around but not talking to them. Not slowing down and talking to them and teaching them. Not slowing down and saying, hey, we need to talk about that. And this, this talk's going to take some time. 
but we need to talk. Let's talk about that. Slow down and talk to your kids. Let's turn our attention now to a second tool. We might call it loving correction. Specifically in Proverbs, we read about this thing called the rod. Turn to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. Multiple times in Proverbs, Solomon mentions something uh, called the rod. And by the way, there is very, very, very little value in me standing up here and telling you what I personally think about the rod. We're here to, today to examine what God says about it. And God's first statement to parents about the rod is stark and direct. Here it is. Here's the idea. The rod distinguishes two types of parents. There are parents who love their kids. And there are parents who, in contrast, hate their kids. The difference is seen in if and how parents discipline their children and how they go about doing that. Look at Proverbs 13, verse 24. It says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. I didn't write those verses. (laughs) And they may feel a bit uncomfortable. This is God speaking. This verse is like a a pointed snowplow. I know it's not the type of plow we probably see most often, but when a, a pointed snowplow starts going down the road, what does it do with the snow? As it goes down the road, it sends snow over here and it sends snow over there. And when this verse marches forward, as this verse speaks, it pushes every parent over here or over there. Namely, you either love your child or in contrast to what that love should look like, you hate your kid. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Very interesting statement here. Uh, Diligent, loving discipline is a defining mark of parents who love their kids. But the reality is, is that it's not just a defining mark of loving parents. It's a defining mark of a loving God. Look at Proverbs 3, verses 11 to 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as, or the idea being, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. You got a father who loves his kid. What does he do? He loves his kid the same way God loves his. Loving parents diligently discipline their kids just like God does with his. The rod distinguishes two types of parents. And you might say, and quite appropriately here, my dad used to beat the living daylights out of me in anger, in an unpredictable, terrible way as a kid. And I can tell you this, that sure didn't feel like love to me. I just don't see it. I mean, I read these verses and everything inside me. This doesn't seem right. And you know what? You're exactly right, but you're confused. Let's be clear on something. The rod comes with a trademark. Turn over to Proverbs 22, verse 15. Sometimes on signs and product logos, you'll you'll see a, a capital R in this tiny little circle indicating that it's trademarked. 
Uh, for example, if, if you have uh, some Kleenexes, uh, the Kleenex in their logo there, they've got the capital R and the little circle at the end of it. According to the Government of Canada website, speaking about trademarks, so here's what the, um, how a trademark is defined. I'm just going to quote here. A trademark is a combination of letters, words, sounds, or designs that distinguishes. I think that's a very important word. Distinguishes one company's goods and services from all the others in the marketplace. A trademark is unique. It's important to a company because over time a trademark comes to stand not only for the actual goods and services you sell, but also for, catch this idea, for your company's reputation and brand. By registering your trademark, note this, you protect it under law from misuse by others. The rod of Proverbs is like that. It comes with a trademark. It's distinguished from all other rods, and it's not to be confused with any of the rest or lumped in with all the others. What are some of the ways that God's trademarked rod is distinguished from all the others? I can give you at least a few. The trademarked rod is used correctively. Proverbs 22, verse 15, gives the rod a more specific name. It's not just called the rod. Look at Proverbs 22, verse 15. It says, This folly is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod, notice its fuller name or title. The rod of discipline. The idea is correction. Drives that folly far from him. It's called the rod of correction. This rod is corrective in nature. Uh, You might think of a compassionate doctor setting a broken bone. And someone comes into the ER and something's obviously not right. You know, like there's this bone sticking out of somebody's leg. And like, ooh, not a pretty picture. And something's not right. The bone is broken. It needs to be set. And the doctor, he's quite insistent. But he's also extremely compassionate. And he says something like this, listen, we have got to reset that bone. (laughs) And by the way, this is going to hurt. But it has to be done to correct the problem so that you can walk again. If you ever want to walk again, we have to reset the bone. And the firm action that's taken to follow is, is something that, though painful, is loving and corrective. You know, punishment, an idea that I think is often in our mind, punishment con- conveys the idea of paying a price for what you've done. You've done something wrong, well, now you're g- there's a punishment. That's not correction. Correction conveys the idea of setting the bone back for your good, not just you need to pay a price. God's rod is not called the rod of mom's revenge or of a father's fury. It's not called the rod of punishment or of power or of anger or of frustration. It's not called the rod of behavior alteration. It's not called the rod of fear and trepidation. None of those things. God's trademarked rod is called the rod of discipline. Whatever it is that God is speaking of, he's speaking of loving correction. So not just any rod will do. The wrong rod is likely to cause more harm than good. I would say that one of the mistakes that parents make is that they use the rod wrongly. But in reality, they use the wrong rod altogether because God's rod is trademarked and it is corrective in nature. The trademarked rod is used correctively and also it's used lovingly. 
Turn back to Proverbs 13, verse 24. Remember what this verse said? It said, he who loves him, his son, is diligent to discipline him. In Proverbs 3, 11 to 12, where we looked at God disciplining his own children, Proverbs 3, 11 to 12 references a father who is firmly disciplining his son the right way, and it says that that father delights in his son. And if discipline is ever conducted in a way where that is not present, something is wrong. And probably sin is taking place. The trademarked rod is used lovingly out of love. And again, if that is not the case, it is, the, it is not the wrong use of the rod, it's the wrong rod altogether. Also, the trademarked rod is used diligently. Proverbs 13, 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. The use of the word diligent there conveys, I think, at least a couple ideas. One would be time, timeliness. A loving father does not put off what needs to be done. Rather, he promptly disciplines his son. I did not say hastily, but promptly. There's a timeliness. And by the way, whatever Proverbs was ta- talking about here, I think that the New Testament would make clear that any time... God calls upon us to lovingly discipline our kids. The way that we do that is in a spirit-filled way, demonstrating all the fruits of the spirit, not the work of the flesh. And as the New Testament talks about correcting uh, someone who is in sin, what does it tell us to do? You go figure your own self out first, right? Like you, you can't help your brother until you make sure you're right. And one of the biggest mistakes parents do is they don't make sure they're right first. They're just frustrated. They're just angry. And their child does not get the rod of correction, but something else. You've got to make sure that you you get yourself straight first. This is not something that's rushed. It's not done hastily, but promptly. The idea of timeliness. And also with that, the idea of consistency. Diligence and being sporadic are opposites. God gives a picture of, gives us a picture of, of consistency and faithfulness and predictability. And that's, that can be hard to achieve. But haphazard parenting and disciplinary approaches with no predictability are not what the Bible teaches. And what that means is that no means mean no every single time. And, and that when discipline occurs, it needs to be consistent every single time and predictable. This is not mom or dad flying off off the handle. Abusive parents cannot hide behind the doctrine of the rod. You just can't. Because it, this doctrine just keeps taking you back to something that's corrective and loving and diligent. Not all those other things. And anything that represents any kind of abuse, that's sin and that's wrong. And God won't tolerate that in the slightest. Any form of abuse is wrong in God's eyes. The rod possesses great, great abilities. Like what? Well, Solomon says that the rod drives out folly. Proverbs 22, verse 15 says that folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it from him. Uh, Based on this verse, one person said of folly in the child's heart that it will take more than just words to dislodge it. 
The rod drives out folly, but it doesn't just do that. It pushes wisdom in. The rod gives wisdom. Proverbs 29, verse 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Firm discipline gives wisdom. What a gift. And the, the rod as well leads away from death towards life. Proverbs 23, this is verses 13 and 14, say, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not, what? Die, is the word that's used. And then verse 14 says, If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol, the grave, death. As one person said in summary about God's trademarked rod, the child will not only survive it, he will survive because of it. Solomon says the rod works. Proverbs 19, verse 18 says, Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Uh, I think that verse could be easily misinterpreted, so let me read it to you in another translation. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be willing, a willing party to their death. The idea is that the rod works, Solomon says, and it points your children toward life. But maybe not just life as we think of it. It points your children towards life, perhaps even eternal life. And what he's saying in that verse, Proverbs 19, verse 18, is this. You don't want your negligence to be a factor in their path toward the grave. Literally towards the grave? But Solomon's left it a little vague when he chose the word Sheol. Their path towards the literal grave or perhaps even the eternal grave. That's a sobering thought. And one more thought about the rod. The rod loses its usefulness over time. The rod is a temporary tool, not a forever tool. Not like the other two. Nor is it a finishing tool for finishing work. It's used early in the job. And once the drywall and trim are up, you, didn't, you don't get to go back and reframe the walls. You don't want to mess the, this part up. And so what God says here, we want to read it, we want to understand it. And there's tons that I'm obviously not saying here. But you want to follow God and his word to the best of your ability. One of your tools is firm and loving correction. Don't neglect it. Of the trifecta of tools, perhaps there is none more powerful, though, than the last one. Tool number three, what is it? It's personal example. It's your own life. Turn to Proverbs 23, verse 26. There's a saying it's a bit of a tongue twister. It goes something like this. Maybe you've heard it. Uh, I'll probably, well, I'll, I'll try to say it right. Uh, your, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. You might have to think about that for a moment. But God wants to use something to penetrate your child and his heart. And God wants to speak to your child's heart. And do you know what God wants to use to do that? He wants to use your life. Proverbs 23, verse 26 says this. My son, give me your heart. But notice what he says next. My son, give me your heart. And now he's not saying, he's not saying give me your ears this time, is he? No, son, give me your heart. 
and let your eyes observe my ways. We might put it this way, the third tool that God uses in the home to speak to children is, is real deal parents. Not perfect parents, not parents that are sinless. If that was the case, none of us would have any hope. Most of us have all kinds of problems <laughs> that we'd prefer not to talk about. But real deal parents, what are real deal parents like? Well, real deal parents are parents who are striving to grow and be faithful. They're changing. They're parents who are literally changing right in front of their kids. They're parents who know how to repent and they know how to ask for forgiveness. And as their children grow up in their home, they watch mom and dad do that. They hear dad say, I sinned. Will you forgive me? And they hear mom say, I sin, will you forgive me? And they watch mom and dad as they blow it and as they sin and as they fail to follow God's road, they watch mom and dad repent and get back up and follow Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Real deal parents are parents who genuinely love Jesus and his church. And that's, that's really obvious to their kids. They're parents who right their wrongs. Proverbs 20, verse 7 says, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. A parent of integrity, a real deal parent. His children are blessed. God uses real deal parents to shine the light on the real deal power of the gospel itself. Because you're not going to live a perfect life in front of your kids. But you can live a life that shows them the gospel In that gospel in action in your life. One of your tools is your personal example. Don't neglect it. God wants you to use your tools well. But again, we've got to be really clear on something. Something that we looked at, talked about briefly last time. You can't actually change your kid. Only the transforming power of Jesus in the gospel can change your child's heart and produce fruit from the root all the way up to the fruit. All of these tools, though, they're meant to point to that. All of them are meant to, to, to funnel your child towards the message of the gospel. Your words are meant to point to Jesus in the gospel. Your discipline is meant to be done in such a way that it points your child to Jesus and the gospel. And your life is meant to point to Jesus and the gospel. And again, if, if, the, if, if Jesus Christ is not in you, and if he has not made you new, how can you ever parent your kids that direction? You need the gospel, and you need that good news to be changing you. And very simply, the gospel comes down to the fact that Jesus is God and that he sacrificed his life on the cross in your place as a substitute to satisfy God's wrath for all of your sin so that peace could be secured between you and God the Father. That is a free gift to you, peace between you and God, and it's received, the Bible says, through repentance and faith. Where you confess your sin to God, you say, God, you're right, I'm a sinner and I deserve your judgment, but I see what Jesus did, and I believe. Hey, God, will you save me? And that message is the very thing that transforms us all the way along the Christian life. And if that is at the heart of your life and at the heart of your home, you will give your kids a wonderful gift. We look to God, though, at the end of the day to do the miraculous, saving, transforming work. And to that we will turn next week. 
as we look at tears and triumphs as well as trust. With God's help, you can be a highly skilled trainer of your kids. Will you bow your head with me at this time?